We're going to read these and pray, and then I'm going to share with you um, two keys to knowing God's will. The first one being surrender is not a four-letter word. Amen? So let's, let's read it. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now read verse 2 with me. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Did you read that? He's telling us in these two verses how we can know what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So there's got to be some keys in these passages. Lord, we thank you right now that the will of God is not unknowable, but you have revealed it to us primarily in your word. And we know that, Lord, you guide us and you lead us and you order the steps of a righteous person. And we have been made righteous by your blood, Lord. So you ought to be ordering our steps and you are. And yet, Lord, there are times we're confused about the will of God. So we pray that today you will clarify how we can know God's will for our life. Now, will you breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him you can know his will. Now, these verses really do hold two crucial keys to a great many of the blessings available to the Christian life. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go so far as to say if you don't do the two things in these verses, you're going to miss a great number of the blessings that God has for you. And none of us want to miss the blessings of God, do we? So we can sum up these two verses with two words. And here they are, surrender and transformation. So can you say it with me? Surrender and transformation. Now those two key words are the two words that Paul is really homing in on in these passages, and he says these two words are the pathway to discerning God's will for your life. Now, I'm going to give you a little truth statement, a little phrase that is sort of going to be the, 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 the watchword over this brief two-week series. And um, here it is. I'm going to read it to you, and then I want you to say it with me, because I'm going to turn to this over and over again as to why we need to do verses 1 and 2. Here it is. You will never be what you ought to be until you do what you ought to do. Now, that is just a fact. Now, let's personalize it. And I want you to say with me, I will never be what I ought to be until I do what I ought to do. I heard somebody recently uh, talking, about, uh, talking to a coach, and they had been to this coach's football practice. And they said, man, it sure seems like your players love practice because they were just really into that practice. He said, oh, no, they hate practice. They just like winning. You see, if you want a result, you've got to do something to get there. The best things in life don't generally just drop on you. Now, salvation does through Jesus Christ. But there's a lot of things in life that you want to be, that you want to do, but you know what? You're never going to be what you really want to be until you do what you really ought to do. 
Being what you want to be is a consequence of having done what you should have done. So you and I are never going to be what we ought to be. We're never going to be the Christians that we ought to be until we have done what we should do. And these two verses tell us what that is. Surrender to the full will of God and having our minds transformed by renewing. And these are both things that happen post-salvation. Salvation is the beginning, not the end. Well, it's the end of an old life and the beginning of a new one. But it's the beginning of a new one. Then we've got to build on that life. We've got to add bricks to that life. We've got to get a good foundation laid in that new life. And so there are certain things we've got to do. Now, these two things, surrender and transformation, are Christianity 101. It's just Christianity 101. These are the things that we should immediately undertake to do. I want to tell you, I've been around a long time now. I've been walking with the Lord since I was really strongly since I was 18. And here's what I know. You talk to anybody who has borne fruit and who has victory in their life and who are mature, and here will always be their testimony. I surrendered to Christ. I had a defining moment of full surrender, and I was transformed by the renewing of my mind. And that's why I'm mature, and that's why I have victory, and that's why I'm bearing fruit. Because I did those two things. I did what I ought to do to be what I wanted to be. So I want to deal with the first one today, the, the, the whole issue of surrender. You know, we sing that song so easily, I surrender all. But, but so often, our surrender is conditional, isn't it? Mine has been uh, often, or well, not often, but several times throughout my life. I've had moments where I was really tempted to, to um, oh, just not be totally surrendered. It's easy to sing. It's not easy to do. Amen? There's a battle for your mind and a battle for your time. So it's very, very important that all of us have a moment where we completely surrender. And here's the way he puts it. He said, I want you to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now that's talking about total surrender. Now when I read that, that's kind of scary sounding to me. Present my body a living sacrifice? Wow, that's, that sounds serious. And it is serious. But oh, the joy that's on the other side of doing that. But you know what? He gives us a motivation uh, for, for the presentation of our bodies. He gives us an incredible incentive to come to, to God and give him our bodies, which by implication is not only our bodies, but all of us, our future, our present, our past, all that we have, all that we have ever wanted to be, our, our aspirations, our dreams, give him everything. Total surrender is total surrender. You're a living sacrifice. So he said, let me give you some incentive. And the incentive is found in the very beginning of verse one, when he says, I beseech you, therefore, my brethren, by the mercies of God, the mercies of God. How many of you are glad for his mercies? Then the Bible says mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. But now, anytime you see the word therefore, and it's in here, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God. When you see a therefore, you need to look real close and see what it's there for. Because therefore is a connective. 
It means that something has preceded the therefore that you need to keep in mind before he carries you to the next truth. So we're looking back and saying, okay, well, what came therefore, what came before therefore that, that, that I'm to remember, as he said, I beseech you by the mercies of God, give God your body, give him your life, give him your all. I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God. Well, the Bible, Paul is drawing our attention to everything that he's already told us in the first 11 verses or 11 chapters of Romans, which is 315 verses. He said, I've given you 315 verses of truth that I am basing therefore on. I'm saying in light of what I've told you in the last 315 verses, I want you to understand that giving your body to God is reasonable. It's logical. It makes total sense based on what I told you in the first 11 chapters. Well, what did he tell us? Well, I can't go into all of it. That's 11 chapters. But I'm going to just share a little bit of, of it with you in a nutshell. Here it is. First of all, Paul tells us, and this leads to the therefore, he said, he said in chapter 3 several things. First, that we were hopelessly lost in sin when grace found us. There is none righteous, no, not one, chapter 3. There is not one person who understands. There's not one person who seeks God. Not one. We have all turned aside. There is none that does good. Not even one. For all have sinned and fall short daily. Our daily falling short. Every one are daily falling short of the glory of God. We're missing the mark. We miss the mark every day. There is not one person who can stand up and say to God, I'm righteous, I'm ready for heaven because of the goodness of me. Not one. So he, he lays it all out. He says the entire world is guilty before God. There is not one righteous, no, not one. There's not one who is genuinely seeking the real God. They seek idols, but they're not seeking the real God. Let me tell you why. Because the real God is holy. So even though people may say, oh, I'm really seeking God, they're really not unless the Holy Ghost is dealing with them. Because Jesus said, no man comes to me unless the Father draws him. As a result of our sinfulness, get a load of this. This is so powerful. As a result of the sinfulness of the human race, the wrath of God, in Romans 1.18 it says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Every single day, lost man is pushing the truth of God down, suppressing it, not letting it out, because they don't want the light shining on their dark deeds. Jesus said, this is the condemnation that, that came into the, that, that is on the world. This is the condemnation. He said that men love darkness more than light. And they do. And so sinful man is always pushing that truth down. Shut up. Don't say anything. If you go out and you talk truth, they will seek to shut you up because there's a suppression of truth. And because of that, it says the wrath of God is hourly, minutely, secondly, being poured out on the human race. But the Bible doesn't leave us there. And that's where the mercies of God come in. A rescuer was sent to save us, a redeemer, a Messiah. His name is Jesus. Now here's where the mercies of God come in. This gets me excited. 
Thank God for the mercy of God because you know what? He could have left us there. He could have left us in our sin and just said, well, you deserve judgment and you deserve hell. He could have left us there, but he didn't. He sent a rescuer. When Jesus came to the earth, it was a rescue mission. He sent a redeemer, a Messiah, a rescuer, a deliverer, a light. Light has come into the world, John said. Light has come into the world and life. And it says that in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. Oh, you talk about the mercies of God. Let me just talk to you about the mercies of God a minute. How many people would die for somebody they even loved and that loved them? How many people would die for someone who loved them and who they loved and they were in a deep love relationship with? How many people would even die for that person? But how in the world do you die for somebody who's spitting in your face, who hates you, who's at war with you, who detests you, who doesn't want anything to do with you, and who is suppressing the knowledge of you? You know how that happens? The mercies of God. The mercies of God. While we were yet sinners, which means that we were at enmity with God, we were at war with God, we were separated from God. But while we were spitting in his face, he stretched out his arms and his feet and they nailed him to that tree. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Brethren, I beseech you by the mercies of God. When you stop thinking about what Jesus did for us, it's no big deal to give him your body. It's your reasonable, logical, commonsensical service because look what he did for you. And, and Romans goes on and tells us how we access this great salvation. We don't do it by our own works, our own deeds, by, by doing what we think is right. But no, we access this salvation by faith and faith alone because Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. The Bible says in Romans 3.25, God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. When Jesus hung on that cross, get this, God was presenting him. God was presenting him. Here you go. Here's my son on the cross. Why are you doing it, Lord? My mercies, my grace. He presented him, and, and he continues to present him. He presents the crucified Savior and the resurrected Savior to the entire world. I'm presenting him to you. And he's the way, the truth, and the life. And you won't get to the Father. You won't get to me but through him. And there is not another name given among men whereby we must be saved but the name Jesus Christ. And, but he didn't stop there talk about the mercies of God. Romans 3.28 says that having placed our faith in the atoning power of the blood of Christ, when we say, we have people doing it in the first service. When we say, Lord, I place my faith in what you did. I place my faith in that blood that ran down that old rugged tree, that precious blood, that crimson stain, that blood that never sinned, that perfect sacrificial blood. When I put my faith in that, then it says we are justified by faith. Justified means just as if you never did it. Can I tell you that God has amnesia when it comes to your sin and mine? Because the Bible says when we come to him and he forgives us, he forgets about it. 
It ain't interesting. The devil wants to remind you of it, but God wants you to forget about it because he forgot about it and he's washed it away. He said, I'll put your sin in the deepest part of the ocean. I'll remove your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. And, and the Bible calls that the mercies of God. How many of you are glad for the mercies of God? Amen. We sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was so lost, but now I'm so found. Was blind, but now I see. It was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. And then as I continued and started to walk with him based on that grace through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Was grace that brought me uh, this far and grace will lead me home. Thank God for that amazing grace. And that amazing grace was wrapped up in the mercies of God. So Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, in light of these mercies of God that I told you about in the first 11 chapters, that you give him your bodies and by implication, all that you are, all that you have, all that you ever wanted to be. You give him all of you because when we give him all of us, he gives us all of him. It's a really great trade. We're, we get on the, we get the better deal out of it, let me tell you. Now watch this. Giving your body, all of you to the Lord, is the beginning of what the Bible calls sanctification. And that's a, kind of a long word. Why don't you say it with me, sanctification. See, when you say, Lord, I give, my, I give you all of me, I give myself to you, I give my body to you, that's the first step in sanctification. Now let me tell you what that means. Sanctification is simple. It just means I set something aside for special use. I set something aside for special use. This certain something is, is special. It's not for common things. So I'm going to set it aside for myself. Sanctification. It means that you dedicate something. You separate something. That's where the Bible says, come apart from the world and be ye separate, says the Lord. What fellowship does light have with darkness or Christ with Belial? Don't be unequally yoked because you are sanctified. And Paul said in Thessalonians, he said, faithful is he who calls you to sanctification, who also will do it. And he says he will sanctify you body, soul, and spirit. He will set your body, your soul, and your spirit aside for himself. Sanctify, set aside for special use. Now, the, the best way I know to uh, explain this is, let's talk about the China. Not the place, but the, the plates. China. Take your, your valuable china as an example. Have you ever noticed we don't put china, china in normal cupboards? We place it in a china cabinet. Why? Because it's special. We could say the china is sanctified. It's more valuable than normal plates. It's special. So we set it aside and we display it in a china cabinet because it is unlike all other plates, saucers, cups, and whatnot. We don't bring our china out 
to put the kids' hot dogs on where they can sit in front of the TV on Saturday morning and watch cartoons with hot dogs and potato chips on top of our china. No, we go get paper plates knowing that whatever we use will soon be destroyed. We wouldn't dream of giving them the china because china is reserved for special use, special occasions, holidays, those important people you want to impress. When, when there's a high occasion, you bring out that china and you lay it on the table and there it is and you look at it and you go, there it is. That, that's what I've been keeping aside for special use. Now, let me just tell you this. You, as, as the church, are God's china. So I don't feel like China, and I don't look like China. Well, let me tell you something. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a called out and sanctified people set aside that you may show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's, that's the special usage that God's got for his people to, to reflect him and glorify him and lift him up and make him known. That's what China is used for. God's China. Okay? So we are dedicated. We are consecrated we set ourselves aside for the Lord's work. And see, when we do that, then we're understanding what the blood did for you and for me. Because it says we have been purchased with a price, the blood of the Lamb. Not earthly currency, heavenly currency, the blood of the Lamb. And since we have been purchased with a price, Corinthians says, therefore glorify God in your body which is the Lord's. So the idea behind presenting our bodies is that we are God's China, his special vessels for the work and the purposes of God. And we're set aside for that. And so when God wants to talk to somebody about Jesus, he pulls out the China. When God wants somebody prayed for, he pulls out his China. When God wants somebody to speak up for him, he pulls out his China. You know, I, I'm a treasure in earthen vessels, but right now I'm China talking to you sharing with you the word of God and your China. When you go out to the restaurant after this, China just walked into that restaurant. <laughs> Set aside for the master's use. You're not no paper plate. You're China. You're set aside for divine purposes. And when you give God your body, it's the outward evidence of an inward surrender. Let me tell you a little secret. All spiritual growth, power, and victory spring from this one fountain, this one foundation, this one defining moment in your life and mine, the hour of full surrender. The hour of full surrender. It's so important. You're saved, but it doesn't stop there. You didn't just get a ticket to heaven one day. But as soon as you were saved, God said, now sanctify yourself. Set yourself aside. You're, not, you're in the world, but you're not of it. You're my China. I want you to set yourself aside for my use, for divine purposes. Because there is a gift and a calling on every believer in the world. Every Christian has a gift and a calling. Every Christian is a minister. Every Christian is a reflector of his glory and his reality.
The Bible says that giving God your body is the, the apex, it, it is the highest form of worship. Now, we just worshiped in here today, and it was a wonderful time of worship. I, I loved it. Our hands were raised, the presence of God fell, but you want to know what the highest form of worship is? Giving God your all. New King James says, it's your reasonable service, but I like what uh, the RSV says, and there's a lot of versions that put it differently, but here's the RSV, it says it's your spiritual worship. To give God your body. It's your spiritual worship. It is the highest form of worship. The Phillips translation says it's your act of intelligent worship. It's intelligent. It's logical. In light of all these mercies that he gave to me, then it only makes logical, intelligent sense that I would say, well, in light of all this, then I give you all of me because you sure gave me all of you. You gave your life. And I've learned this, that if that doesn't happen, that this intentional giving of God, giving to God of our body, our life, if that doesn't happen, then we won't live a life worthy of the Lord. We won't. Here's why. Because we've always got ourselves getting in the way. You know who gets you in all your trouble? You. You say, no, the devil made me do it. No, the devil wouldn't have anything to work with if you were crucified. <laughs> he wouldn't have anything to work with. He can't, he can't do anything with dead people. And didn't Jesus say, if you're going to find life, you've got to die to yourself? Didn't Jesus say, if you're going to follow me, you've got to pick up your cross, and a cross always means you die? So you die to yourself. He said, well, I don't want to die to myself. Yes, you do, because it's yourself that's getting you in all the trouble. See, God uses crucified, sanctified people who have given all of themselves to him, and until you do that, yourself is going to get you in trouble through compromise. As a prisoner for the Lord then, Paul said, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. The only way you're going to do that and the way I'm going to do that is if I give myself fully to the Lord. I, I read of a young military man returning from a war in which uh, he had done very bravely and he had a medal pinned on him by a high-ranking general. And the general said this when he pinned the medal on him. He said... The way you have acted is a credit to your uniform. I read that and I thought, one day the Lord is going to put a crown on us. And you know what he's going to say? Well done. The way you have acted was a credit to your faith. That's what we want to hear. But you know what, church? That's never going to happen unless we present our bodies to the Lord in sanctification and say, Lord, I'm no longer my own. I'm bought with a price. I am fully yours. And this makes the difference between carnal Christians and spiritual Christians, victorious Christians and defeated Christians, joyful Christians and miserable Christians. There's no more miserable Christian than one that's got one foot in the kingdom and the other in the world. There's no more miserable Christian than the one who doesn't spend time with God. Dusty Bibles lead to dirty lives. We need to stay in the Word and stay with Him and give Him. So say with me, give Him my body. He said, that, that's, remember now, that's one of the key. He said, that's the first important key in knowing what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You will discern the will of God far better when you have given yourself to him. 
But then he went on, and it gets scarier. He said, you're a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. That sounds painful to me. A living sacrifice. But listen, in the Old Testament, we know that anytime there was a sacrifice made like for, for atonement, the people's atonement, the animal was killed. So anytime there was a sacrifice, the animal was always dead. But he says, he says here, I want you to present your bodies a living sacrifice. I want you to be living for me, totally for me, totally surrendered to me while you're alive. A conversation is said to have taken place between a hen and a hog. And when they passed a certain church, they started talking because they saw the subject of the pastor's sermon on on the outside, and the sermon's title was this, How Can We Help the Poor? So they saw the sermon title, The Hen and the Hog, and as they were continuing walking, they talked, and after a moment of silence, the hen perked up and said, Hey, I know what we can do. We can give the poor a ham and egg breakfast. The hog stopped in his tracks and said, wait a minute, dude. Such a breakfast would be a contribution for you, but for me it would be total commitment. Because you're giving an egg and I'm becoming the bacon. Now, listen. Now, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but I'm just going to stay with the illustration for a minute. In the church, there are hens and there are hogs. Now, don't go out here and say, Pastor Jeff called me a pig at church. (laughs) I'm not. I'm staying with the illustration for a minute, okay? Here's the deal. Hogs give their very all to the Lord Jesus and become living sacrifices for him. But many Christians, they take the chicken way out. They're chickens in the house of God. You know what they do? They go to church a couple of Sundays a month, and they say, well, there's my egg. I just made my contribution. I showed up. Or they put a little tip into the offering. Some waitresses get better tips than Jesus does. Have you ever noticed how big a $100 bill looks at church and how small it looks at Walmart? We pull out a $100 bill in church and go, oh, no way. Hallelujah. Where's the one? We say, the $1 bill. But at Walmart, that $100 bill goes just like that, and we're happy about it. We take the chicken way out. We lay eggs. We put a little tip in the offering and say, well, there's my contribution to the cause. But then there's the hogs, the sold out, the committed, the yielded, the fully surrendered. And here's one talking, Paul. He said, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying the good news of God's grace. That's all I care about. So at the end of his life, and here's what what I want on my tombstone. I've fought the good fight. I finished my course. I kept the faith. He could not have said that if he had not had a defining moment of full surrender to God. Because until you fully surrender, yourself will get in the way of God's will. That's why Jesus could go to the cross. How did he get there? 
Not my will, he said in the garden, but thine be done. You know what he was saying right there? I am fully surrendered to the purpose of God. I don't want to be nailed to a tree. I don't want to be beaten beyond recognition. And if I listen to myself, I'm not going to do it. But I'm fully surrendered. I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race, finish why I came, and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me. And that ought to be the heartbeat, the per thump, 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 thump in every Christian believer, everyone. It ought to be my only concern is to finish the task the Lord has given to me. That's my heartbeat. That's what pours through my veins. That is the fire in my heart. That is the dream of my life, the aspiration of my soul. That is it. It's the hogs that walk closely with Jesus, the ones totally surrendered. And it's those that discover the deep riches of Christ. It's the chickens that are always on the periphery, walking around, the outside looking in, sort of in and out, there but not. In the news, I read a story about an express package from England that came to a South African town. The man to whom the box was sent refused to pay the the delivery fee because he thought it was too high. So for about 14 years, get this, for about 14 years, true story, for about 14 years, this box that was sent to this man that he wouldn't pay the delivery charge on was used as a footstool in the express office. The one to whom it was sent finally died, and later the box was put up at auction with other unclaimed articles. And out of curiosity, a man in the audience said, well, I'm curious. And he made a low bid on it. He, he, he shot a low bid, low price. And he got it home and he opened it. And when he opened it, he was greatly surprised to find several thousands of dollars worth of sterling in English banknotes. Because the intended recipient had refused to pay a comparatively tiny delivery charge, he had missed a fortune. Listen, church, the comparatively small price of total surrender to God is nothing compared with the spiritual riches that become yours when you give Him your all. It's a a great deal. Or I surrender all. And, And God pours out His best. Riches, experiences, direction, fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Remember, you will never be what you ought to be until you do what you ought to do. How many of you want to be like Jesus, more like Jesus? You want to be more like Jesus? You ought to because that would be really wonderful. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, faith. That was all. That's all a description of Jesus. The Bible says when we fully surrender as a living sacrifice, it says it is acceptable to God, which means well-pleasing to God. So I'm going to ask us to stand today, can we? And I want to ask you a question, and please, as little movement as possible, unless it's perhaps down towards the altar in just a moment. But let me ask you a question. 
Forget about everybody around you and listen, listen to this direct question very carefully. Have you fully surrendered your life to God? Where every person, every place, everything is subservient to his lordship. Have you done that? Are you a hen making little contributions along the way that really don't cost you anything? Or are you like the hog and he has been given all of you as a living sacrifice? I felt very impressed to preach this today because we're entering into a time, folks, where you really need to be fully surrendered, fully in touch with the Lord. Where at a moment's notice, you can say, Lord, what about this? And, and you're in fellowship with him. It says, lay us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, is now sat down at the right hand of the throne of God and he ever lives to make intercession for you and for me. Lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets. A weight is what pulls you down. A sin is what cuts relationship between you and God. Both are real. And so I'm gonna ask us to bow. And if you can say today, Pastor Jeff, I, I, I really did have a time in my life where I surrendered. But man, life happened and things happened and people happened and I know now that I'm not in that fully surrendered condition. Or maybe you've never fully surrendered him. You may have never even asked Christ to forgive you of your sin and come into your heart. It can happen today. I really felt that God led me to have a time of full surrender in our church today. If your head bowed, if you can say, Pastor, I'm in one of those categories and God's already been speaking to me. This is just a confirmation of that. And I really do want to, in a fresh way, surrender all to God. Raise your hand. Raise your hand here. Good and high. God bless you. And maybe you've never fully surrendered, but I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And if you've never been saved, never accepted Christ, I'm going to lead a prayer right now. And you pray it with me if you so desire. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me and rose from the dead so that I could be saved. You are my rescuer from the wrath of God. Lord, I place my faith in the blood of Christ. And I ask you to come into my heart and guide me from this moment forward. Now say with me, everybody that raise your hand and those that just prayed that prayer, say, I surrender all. I surrender everything. All that I am or ever could be, I surrender all. a living sacrifice for the glory of God. Now I want to do something. If you pray that with me, I want to ask you to slip out and I want you to come to this altar 
because I want to I want to pray with you down here one more time. I'm, I'm just following what I sense the Spirit telling me to do. God wants to do something special today, something life-changing, life-altering. So if you pray that prayer, I want you to come right now. Just come down. This, this altar is not...